I have something prepared this afternoon that um, actually came from a track that was put out by Brother David Roper, who uh, was in Oklahoma for a while in the 50s and 60s, preaching there, did some mission work. And I think while he was doing some mission work, he wrote this tract about the day that Christ came again. It's been preached in various forms throughout the years, but I really think it's very thought-provoking. And um, I wanted to present that to you this afternoon. So we're going to make the same deal that I do every time we have a meal and have to come straight back in. If I've got to stay awake, you've got to stay awake. So we'll all work together on it for just a little while and then uh, move along. But I'm going to ask you, though, to use your imagination with me to fill in a few of the places, as you'll see. Uh, we'll have to <coughs> narrate this story of what's happening We'll take some liberties here and there, but it's not going to contradict Scripture by any means in any way, and there's going to be Scripture used throughout this. But I want you to picture in your mind what's happening as this final day when Jesus comes again, and it affects this one particular man and his friends and neighbors. All right, the man's name, we're just going to do fictitious names, so if I happen to stumble upon one that's actually yours, I'm going to go ahead and apologize, but here we have Mr. Joe Smith. Joe's just an ordinary kind of guy from an ordinary kind of town and a lot neighborhood like those scattered throughout, a lot like where you may be, but just consider him as a lot like yourself in a little town like yours. For example, on down the road from Mr. Smith, there's a man named Andy Andrews. Andy, a middle-aged man who preaches, uh, teaches, excuse me, teaches at the little college at the edge of town. And Mr. Andrews doesn't think a lot of religion, though. He's very fond of saying, well, religion is just a crutch used by those weak people who can't get along without it. And the concept of the end of time, talking about the judgment, uh, he, would, he would often say, oh, the concept of there being a literal judgment day, a literal heaven, a literal hell, that all went out with the hoop skirt. Yeah, Mr. Andrews was very positive in his views on things for sure. Now, next door to Mr. Andrews was Miss Betty Brown. Sweet little lady, uh, early 60s. At her time and day, she could have had the pick of the crop, but she never seemed to find the right one. So she just spends her time giving herself to others. Anytime there's anything in the neighborhood of somebody in need, it doesn't matter if there's a sickness, if there's a death, any kind of calamity, trouble in general, you could always count on Miss Brown being the first one there. And that pleasant smile of hers and her cheerful way, everybody said, oh, Miss Brown is better than a whole drugstore full of medicine. Only trouble was, that was Miss Brown's religion, was just doing good deeds. She didn't put much into church going. She called it churchanity. And occasionally, some good-meaning person would try to come up and talk to her about her soul and, and about the church and the Bible and salvation. And she'd just smile, that big old smile, and say, Oh, honey, don't you worry about me. I'm going to be just fine, but I do appreciate your concern. But yeah, you just couldn't help but love Miss Brown. Across the street from Joe Smith was an old bachelor, a guy named Charlie Crane. Everybody called him Brother Charlie because he liked to be called Brother Charlie. Now, he was a real churchgoer. All of his conversations were sprinkled with scripture quotations. A lot of time, all it was was that chimney corner scripture, though, but most people didn't know the difference anyway. But Brother Charlie's favorite sermon went something like this. doesn't matter where you go to church or what you practice. Honesty and sincerity, that's the most important things. As long as a person is honest and very sincere and lives by those things that he believes to be right, he's going to go right through those pearly gates. 
Now, occasionally, Brother Charlie would talk to another one of Joe's neighbors who lived down the block in the other direction. He was a young married man, man named Dick Dennison. Dick had this wonderful sweet wife named Darlene, had a little boy named Dick Jr. That was the light of his life. The only thing, though, that kind of marred his, his, his life and his situation there with his marriage was the fact that his wife, Darlene, was a true Christian. She was a member of the little Church of Christ down at the corner down going out of town, and she was very devoted, and she was committed. But Dick never did, to this point, commit himself to Christ. Now, he would attend with her. He would go to the services, and he would listen but he never made that commitment. Funny thing is, though, that he, when Brother Charlie would uh, get into his honesty and sincerity are enough sermon, well, Dick could actually take him and just have him running in circles by using Scripture. But it always ended this way with Brother Charlie straightening himself up and pointing that skinny finger at him and getting right in his face. And he said, well, if all that is true, what you're saying, then why aren't you a Christian? And he had nothing to say to that. He'd just drop his head and go on. There was another young couple in Joe's neighborhood. They were a little older than Dick and Darlene. It was Ed and Edith Estes. And they also were members of the congregation there at the corner of the town. However, they were unfaithful. I guess it all started back because of their, two little, uh, their two-year-old little girl, Evelyn. When Edith was expecting her, she was sick a lot started missing a lot of services and got to the point where it just kind of became routine and habit just didn't go, didn't go, didn't go. And then even after the baby was born, now she's two years old but still had not gone back to be restored. And Ed, the husband, he thought a few times about going back, but then he would kind of pull away from that and say, no, he's going to wait until she's ready to, then they both can come together and walk down the aisle and be restored and start fresh. So... Neither one of them ended up taking the first step. Now, there's one more couple in Joe's neighborhood that figure into the story, and we just got to hear about them. It's an elderly couple. They're right next door to Joe. It's the Jim Jenkins family. Everybody just called him Old Jim and called her Mrs. Jim. Now, Mrs. Jim was bedfast now, though. Had been for several years. But Old Jim, oh, he loved her very much, and he managed to take care of her just fine. Both of them were also members of the Lord's Church. And... Before Mrs. Jim got sick, you could always see both of them at those services, rain or shine, they were there. If the doors were open, they were there. But now, old Jim has to go alone. But he still went. He made sure that his wife had everything she needed before he headed out the door. He'd give her everything within reach of what she needed, put her Bible in her lap, lean over and give her a kiss on the cheek and say, I won't be very long now, honey. And then he would head out. And even though his wife took a lot of time to take care of her, he still found time to help others. He was always busy helping those in need, always taking the time to talk to others about the Jesus that he loved so much and about the church that meant so much to him. At some time or another, Mr. and Mrs. Jim had talked to everybody in that neighborhood. Because of their efforts, more than a dozen people had been baptized in that little church's baptistry through those years. Now, here we have Joe's friends and neighbors. As we said, just ordinary neighborhood. No better, no worse than your own. But now we come to a day, a day that God appointed. God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world, Acts 17 and verse 31. <clears throat> now, it happened that there was a special service 
down at that congregation down on the corner that day. And old Jim was there. Dick and Darlene Dennison and Dick Jr. were there. Mr. Andrews, now he was home. Miss Brown was home. Ed and Edith Estes, they were home with their little one. Brother Charlie, he was off somewhere else. But now Joe, well, Joe was right where he always was every time there was a special service at the church. And just then, the day of judgment began with the coming of Christ. Behold, he comes with the clouds. Every eye shall see him. Revelation 1 verse 7. And the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. 1 Thessalonians 4 16. Now that shout shook that neighborhood. Mr. Andrews ran out of his house and he looked up and his mouth just dropped open like his jaw was unhinged. He couldn't say a word. Miss Brown, she was outside looking around and she began to kind of flutter her hands and she just kept saying, oh my, oh my. Now Edith Estes had been in the rocking chair with her little girl, Evelyn. When she heard the noise outside, she set her down on the floor. She ran to the door to look, see what was going on. And as soon as she opened that door, she realized she knew what was happening. Quickly, she turned back for her little girl, but it was too late. Evie was gone. In that little church of Christ down on the corner, the preacher had just concluded the invitation. The song leader started the song. There's a great day coming, a great day coming. Now Dick was there in the audience with his wife and his little one. He had been struggling with himself as usual. He knew what he needed to do. He knew, and, and he just, he could not get the nerve, though, to step out and to go forward and to become a Christian. He had even been given some thought to the little baby. He was holding a pinch in the baby to get him to start crying so he could take him out just to have a distraction there to, to pull him away from that decision. But right then, that shout came. And the roof of that little church building split right down the middle. And every uplifted face was bathed in the light of the glory from above. Here and there within the congregation, people began to rise up into the air. Up they went through that opening, right up into the sky, into the presence of Jesus. Among them was old Jim, Darlene Dennison, Dick Jr., and Dick panicked. He started shouting to the, the preacher as he was ascending and saying, wait, wait just a minute, wait one more. And then the song leader, as he was going, he yelled to the song leader, one more verse, just one more verse. It was too late. The invitation was over forever. Now in Miss Jim's little bedroom, the heavenly light shone all around her and she just simply looked up and said, I've been waiting for you, Lord. And those that were standing outside they saw old Jim catch her by the hand and they ascended on together to meet the Lord in the air. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. What happened to Joe, you say? Well, it happened to Joe just what you'd expect. Now after the righteous dead and the righteous living had gone to meet the Lord, the sky gradually darkened. A period of great catastrophe began. In Joe's hometown, the houses were smashed, streets buckled, water mains broke, water spewed in every direction. On Main Street, there was a great crack that opened up in the ground and it just swallowed the whole downtown section. All the power lines went down, the whole area was in darkness. But the most terrible thing was a cry that was torn from thousands upon thousands of throats that just kept saying, no, no, God, no. Throughout the world, calamity reigned. 
Those great redwood forests, trees snapped like matches. In Arizona, the earth grown, expanded, and the Grand Canyon closed in just like a giant unyielding mouth. In the western United States, the earth shifted. With grinding sounds, the Rocky Mountains receded until it was flat as though there had never been a mountain there. In New York City, skyscrapers began to tumble. and They fell like a giant set of building blocks that now had been outgrown and tossed aside. In the Pacific Ocean, a tiny island called Japan sank into the boiling sea and the sea was just filled with little dots. The earth began to be filled with gigantic cracks, smoke pouring forth, water rushing in, dispelled again as clouds of steam, gas and molten rock oozed from the earth's crevices and then the earth caught fire. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and all the works therein shall be burned up, 2 Peter 3, verse 10. And the physical universe is now devoid of any light whatsoever except this little tiny speck, which is a world burning up. A tiny torch in memory of what had started out with so much promise. But then that spark just dwindled and burned itself out. And now all is darkness and silence. Joe had been launched. His friends and neighbors had been launched. All had been launched into eternity, into the presence of God, and into the judgment. So when Joe lifted up his eyes, he saw a huge, vast number of people. And there were people from every nation. The Chinese and the Koreans and the Frenchmen and the Egyptians and the Germans and the Dutch and the Mexicans. It was people from every nation on the face of the earth. There were people there from the 21st century, the 10th century, the 1st century, the 1st century B.C., the 20th century B.C., the 40th century B.C. Joe even saw a couple that he thought might have even been Adam and Eve. He couldn't know that for sure. But as far as the eye could see, there were people Old people, young people, tall people, short people, thin people. There were, there were bank presidents, there were ditch diggers, there were rulers of nations, there were slaves, the leaders of Al-Qaeda and the presidents of the United States. And Joe knew that these people went way past his vision because here was every person that had ever been upon the face of the earth. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10. So Joe is there, and right here around him, he sees his friends. There's Mr. Andrews and Miss Brown. There's Brother Charlie Crane over here, Dick and Darlene, Ed and Edith, old Jim and Mrs. Jim, who incidentally, by the way, now she could stand up tall and straight all on her own, all present, all accounted for. And then Joe became very aware of a throne rising majestically right out of the midst of this crowd, rising high at the top of it is lost in the clouds. And the glory of that throne and the occupant on that throne was so great from the glory that Joe had to lower his eyes. And then everyone bowed themselves, prostrated themselves before that throne and worshiped the one who sat upon it. So Mr. Andrews, that teacher, well, he started to bow, but his knees were shaking so badly, he just collapsed into a quivering heap there on the ground. And it seemed that he, Joe kept hearing him say something over and over, saying, I really, I really didn't mean it. And he kept saying something about religion and a crutch. 
As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God, Romans 14, 11. And the time had come. And you'd think it would be an impossible thing with such a vast number of people, but there was a hush that came across the, the crowd in the complete silence. It's like billions upon billions of people all held their breath at the same moment. Every eye was on that throne. And then at the throne there was movement. From the mist came this hand, and a hand reached down and began to bring into view the books. I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were opened. Revelation 20, verses 11 and 12. Now when the first volumes were brought out, it was a familiar sight to many people, especially those in the 20th and 21st century. They had seen these writings day in and day out. They were on people's coffee tables and bookshelves, motel dressers, nightstands. It was like they'd become a part of the interior decoration, but they were still present. may not have had the familiar black binding and the gold-edged leaves, but everyone knew what it was. It's the book they knew as the Bible. Jesus cried and said, He that rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. John 12, verses 44 and 48. No words of men were produced that way. No doctrines, no creeds, no bylaws, just the word of God. And that hand was still moving. A large volume comes into sight. A huge, old, worn, stained with celestial tears and, and another book was opened. The book of life. Revelation 20 and verse 12. <clears throat> the cover flew back for just a moment and the crowd got a glimpse inside. It was full of names. Oh, Joe recognized some of the names. He saw Abraham, Moses, David, Peter, Paul. That, that has to be the record of the faithful. And it's as if every heart is beating that same question, is my name in there? Is my name in there? And finally, the hand slowly brought into view one last record. It, not so much a book as it is an extension of God's memory. And there was a great gasp as the assembly saw this. It was a record of all their lives. A record of everyone's thoughts and deeds and unguarded words. The good things and the bad things. Including every sin that had not been removed by the blood of Christ. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works, Revelation 20 and verse 12. That record was put beside the one occupying the throne. So everything now is ready and the judging began. See, life on earth had been full of injustices. Life had often seen the wicked prosper and the righteous persecuted. But this time, true justice will be meted out all wrongs will be made right. All scores will be eternally and righteously settled. One by one, the names are called. One by one, each one would step forward. One by one, they would stand before that great throne. One by one, they would watch as the word of God is compared with the record of their lives. One by one, they would see the book of life be checked for their name. One by one, they would go to the right or to the left.
The wicked stood before God, the drunkards, the adulterers, the licentious, the murderers, the thieves. They went to the left. They which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God, Galatians 5, 21. The self-righteous stood before God and the truly righteous stood before God as well. See, all were judged. And it wasn't so much a matter of determining guilt or innocence. It was a matter of showing justice and passing the sentence. And whatever the verdict was, everyone knew that it was right. It was correct. So finally, the time came for Joe and his neighbors. Joe stood over to one side and he heard a voice. Miss Brown, Miss Betty Brown. Oh, sweet little Miss Brown. Helpful Miss Brown. Unprepared Miss Brown. See, deep down in her heart, she had always felt, when I do stand before the judgment of God, there's going to be a big set of scales set up there. And on one side are going to be all of the good deeds and the things I've done. On the other side will be all of the evil, wicked things I've done. Everybody knew the good was going to far outweigh the bad. But now she sees, instead of that being the case, God's word is examined and compared with her life. And so the finger of God points toward those teachings. And instead of trusting in her own goodness, she should have trusted in Jesus for her salvation. If you believe not that I am He, you will die in your sins. And where I go, you cannot come. John 8, verses 24 and 21. And the finger continues to move. That faith in Jesus should have been expressed through repentance and baptism. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Acts 2 and verse 38. But the record of Miss Brown's life showed she had not trusted in Jesus to save her. She had not obeyed God's plan by repenting and being baptized. And it seemed that Joe heard the voice from the throne say, Oh, Miss Brown, Miss Brown, how often I would have gathered you to myself as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Matthew 23, 37. So Miss Brown went to the left. And Joe thought he heard her saying, I tried to save myself. I tried to save myself. And the voice spoke again. Charlie Crane. See, as the judging had progressed, Joe had cast a few glances over toward Brother Charlie. And you know, it began to become more and more apparent that it does make a difference what one believes and what one does. And Charlie had gotten more and more nervous. He steps forward now, a shaky step, but he kind of has a defiant look on his face. And he waits, and the comparison is made. The Scriptures to his life. And he knows what's going to be found. And when it's finished, he says with a quivering voice, but one that lacked real conviction, he said, but Lord, you know I belong to a church. And Lord, you know that I, I prayed to you. And Lord, remember all those good things I did at my church in your name. But it was no use. Before he even received an answer, he was moved to the left. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in your name cast out devils and in your name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Matthew seven twenty one through 23. 
Now for some time, Joe had been standing pretty close to the Estes family. And as it got closer to time for Ed's name to be called, he cleared his throat and he spoke up to Joe for the first time. And he said, you know, Joe, I'm a lot more fortunate than most. <clears throat> and he said, I came from a good family. I had a godly mother who taught me the truth. And I, I, taught, I was taught uh, what to do for salvation. And I was baptized into Christ at 12 years old. And, and I'm a member of the Lord's church. And Joe thought, well, it sounds to me like he's trying to convince himself more than he's trying to convince me. And then the thoughts were interrupted as the voice said, Ed Estes. Comparison began. And yes, the comparisons show that according to God's word and his acts and deeds of his life, that yes, there had been a point where he had expressed faith in Jesus being the Son of God. He had shown repentance for his sins and he had been baptized into Christ. And he did that with a genuine love. But the comparison didn't stop there. And that finger continued to move and then Ed turned pale. See, there are more responsibilities that go along with it, becoming a Christian. Hebrews 10, 25, attend the services of the saints faithfully and worship God faithfully. He did not. Romans 12, 1 and 2, there's a devoted life to be lived, one where you are separated from the world and you're not in the world's mold, but you've been transformed. He did not. <clears throat> Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. One is to use the talents and abilities that God had given them, serving God, glorifying God, trying to reach out to others and save souls around you, abounding in those good works. And he had not. 2 Peter 3, 18. 2 Timothy 2, 15. He was to be growing, growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. He had not. And then there was Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, where he was to reach out and try to teach and save others, and he had not. And the record showed that he had not done those things as a Christian. And so now we have these failures that are here, but there's no place showing that he had repented of those things, that he had had them removed by the blood of Christ. Oh, somewhere along the line, he had gone from love and devotion and that spark that he had got crowded out with life. And the book of life is open. And there was a space there where his name had been. And now it's blotted out. Whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book, Exodus 32, 33. And the finger pointed to the left. And now it's Edith's turn and she hadn't been paying so much attention, it seemed like, to what was going on from time to time, though she'd just kind of hold her arms out like she was cradling a baby and a tear would trickle down her cheek. Comparisons were made, showed the same as with her husband, Ed, and when it was finished, she just asked one question. She just said, Where, where's my baby? And the voice very gently said, we'll take care of her. Of such is the kingdom of God. Mark 10, 14. Used as an excuse and now gone forever. Ed, though, was standing waiting for Edith so they could both go together to the left. And as they walked away, Joe saw Ed turn toward Edith, maybe looking for some small comfort. He said, but sweetheart, he said, don't you at least appreciate the fact that I didn't go back without you? I waited, waited for you, and she just turned her face away in disgust. Now, there'll, there'll be no compassion and no love in hell. And Joe watched them all. 
He saw Mr. Andrews, Judge, Darlene, Dennison. She went to the right. She joined Dick Jr. Dick Sr. went to the left. And he saw nail-scarred hands reach down from the throne and, and encircle old Jim and Miss Jim. And the voice said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you rule over many things. Enter thou to the joy of thy Lord. Matthew 25, 23. Now finally, the judging is completed. And from above, there came the shaft of golden light and you could hear the sound of singing in the distance. There was this shimmering shape of this beautiful city. Turning to those on his right, the figure said, Come, ye blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Matthew 25, 34. And so hand in hand, arm in arm, those on the right ascend toward those gates of pearl, the streets of gold, the water of life. Angels shout as they come near and the gates are thrown open wide and they're ushered on into glory. And then the figure on the throne turns to those on the left. See, God had not intended for it to be this way. The place that these will be sent was originally designed for the archenemy of God, for Satan himself. But a sinful world had by and large persisted in following Satan instead of God. The same world had resisted the love and the sacrifice and the overtures of Jesus and that sacrifice that was made on their behalf. So really there's no other choice. God by his very nature cannot coexist with sin. Now, in reality, now they had judged themselves a long time ago. And he said to them, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 41. Now this huge throng of people move closer and closer to this vast pit that is open before them. And from this pit comes the smell of sulfur, smoke of a million fires. With heads down and a stumbling gait, the masses continue to fall over and over the edge, some of them with a muffled cry, but many silently into the darkness. Some trying to find some way to cling on to the edge before they're just forced to lose their grip. Most went over without a struggle. Just before the last individual fell, it seemed that in the air there hung for just a moment these words, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, Revelation 20, verse 15. <clears throat> the mouth of the pit was closed. Those uplifted faces caught their last and only glimpse of the face of God. And then darkness closed in, eternal darkness. And the figure on the throne closed the books that had been opened. And almost as if a sigh, the words came, It is done. Ezekiel 39.8. Oh, Mr. Andrews had been judged. Miss Brown had been judged. Charlie Crane, judged. Dick and Darlene Dennison, judged. Ed and Edith Estes, judged. Old Jim, Miss Jim, judged. Oh yeah, the judgment is over. And eternity stretches on now. You say, but wait a minute, Travis. What about Joe? Joe Smith. Wasn't Joe judged? Yeah. Joe was judged. The Word of God was compared with his life, just like the others. The Book of Life was checked for the final authority. And what was the result? Only you and God can answer that question. Because you are Joe Smith. 
This is you we're talking about. It's your name that was heard when Joe was called forth. It is you who stood there to see God's Word versus your life as the comparison is made. It was your fate that was received. It's to the right or to the left. So, I'll turn the question back on you. What did happen to Joe when the books were opened? Eternal life or eternal death? I want you to search your hearts right now. Are you willing to leave the record in heaven exactly the way it stands right now? Are you happy with where things are right now? Would you be willing to face it today? Or would you like to make some changes? In that day, there would be many who would give everything they had ever had or could hope to have to make one small change. But it's going to be too late. But see, right now, we have this moment. And you can change not only some small thing, you can change the whole record if it needs to be changed. You can be cleansed by the blood of Christ, have your sins forgiven, have your name in the Lamb's book of life, and leave with the assurance of knowing, knowing, not because of arrogance, but because of God's promises and God's grace and the sacrifice of Christ and your obedience and your trust in that blood and complying with God's terms, you can leave knowing you know where your name is written. And there's no better feeling 